Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome back, fellow optimists. Sofia Tapia here, your host on the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics from the world's brightest minds. If you're new to the show, in each episode, you'll hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet we call home. So settle in, because we're about to take off and dive into another radically optimistic conversation. Established in 2011, Space IL competed in the Google Lunar X Prize and won the $1 million Moonshot Award for its successful entry into lunar orbit and for its attempt to land on the lunar surface, both of which were first for a privately funded entity, making a new era in space exploration. On April 11, 2019, the Space IL lander Beersheet made its descent to the surface of the moon after a 48-day journey. What happened next didn't exactly follow the playbook. To celebrate the second anniversary of that momentous occasion, our CEO and astronaut-in-residence, Anusha Ansari, sits down to talk to Kafir Damari from Space IL. They discuss competing in the prize, overcoming adversity, and its surprise conclusion. They also talk about the future of this audacious space program and its real impact on the future of space travel. So buckle up, because it's time to take off. Thank you so much for joining us on our Future Positive podcast. I specifically asked to be the host this time because the story of Space IL and space is so near and dear to my heart and uh, this makes it very special to me. So welcome and uh, I'm going to dive in and ask you, it's been almost two years since the launch and uh, i love to hear what's been happening. Can you remember the launch day and, and the leading um, events to it. Can you share some of that with us? So first of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure being here and, and being with you. Of course, I remember the day of the launch. You know, it's a, it's a day that is really hard to, to forget. And one of the reasons for that is that it's a day that we worked many years for. Uh, in the beginning, you know, when we signed into the Google Lunar X Prize, we were planning to launch the, the spacecraft in two years, and eventually it took us more than eight. So, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of effort and a lot of resources and a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of everything that was invested in that process. It was one of the biggest highlights because that's the day that we finally finished working on the spacecraft and we knew it's on its way to the moon. It was exciting. I was with my family in Florida. 
even that, you know, when we started in 2010, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. We were planning to launch the spacecraft in two years. And I never imagined that I will get to this moment with a five-year-old kid and a two-year-old girl. Uh, so it was a, an exciting moment for the project, but also for me personally. Well, it's great to hear that uh, on our side at XPRIZE, we launched Google Lunar uh, we had to extend the deadline several times because no one uh, was ready to make an attempt. It was a first to win competition. So we didn't have uh, any like you have to fly on this state, but we wanted to see the first team who will make it. And uh, and of course, we keep extending the deadlines and no one, um, you know, signed up to take the flight. And uh, eventually the prize expired. But we were so excited to see that the teams were continuing still building hardware and on that mission. So when we got the notice that you all are going to make a run at it, uh, it was the launch. I think it was February 21st or 22nd, 2019. Uh, we were just over the moon and, and uh, you know, no pun intended, but it was exciting to see how all that hard work and I know you had to fundraise throughout that whole process and you were one of the most successful teams in fundraising. Tell us what made you special. This was a hard journey, as you mentioned. You never knew that you, if you will finally succeed. Um, tell me about the journey and some of the memorable moments in that journey. So uh, it was really an amazing journey. And I think, you know, uh, one of the reasons we succeeded is the fact that we decided from the beginning to become a nonprofit and not a for-profit uh, organization. And, you know, and we did that just because that's what felt right. You know, that was the first Israeli spacecraft and we were looking to make sure it will be the first and not last. So we wanted to invest both the prize money that we were hoping to win the $20 million in promoting science and scientific education to make sure that we'll have the future scientists to build the next spacecraft. But I think that decision that we did it because that's what felt right eventually became one of the smallest business decisions we could because this, the first design was basically a CubeSat uh, 3U, a really small design, 10 on 10 on 30 centimeters that we were planning to build in up to $8 million. And, you know, for a $20 million prize, that sounds logical. But as, you know, as the a contest continued and as uh, the engineering process continued, we realized it's not doable. And, you know, eventually we got a spacecraft that was a hundred times more heavier than the initial design. Uh, the cost at least was only 10 times more. Uh, but uh, from a business perspective, it wasn't logical. Uh, but because we weren't a business, it was still logical for us and for all the donors uh, to, to continue with this project. Because, you know, I think that what we actually wanted to create, the mission was to get to the moon and hopefully winning the competition. But the bigger vision was to inspire the next generation and, and of course, besides just building the spacecraft, we had uh, a, an educational team that, uh, and, and a lot of volunteers. And together we've met uh, 2 million kids uh, in Israel and in the US uh, and inspired them both to go and study science and technology, but also even to those that are not going to be scientists, we reminded them that they should always dream big and follow their dreams. Uh, and I think because we decided 
this is our real goal. And I think that's what helped us throughout uh, all the challenges that we had. And, and we had many challenges through the years. I know that was a big part of your success. Uh, I happened to actually be in the observation room or, uh, you know, control room uh, observation area um, uh, during the landing. And uh, I know the whole ceremony and a lot of work before that went to uh, actually um, the, the student program that you had created. So this was not just a space IL launch. This uh, became a uh, launch for Israel and the people of Israel who uh, were, you know, really uh, excited. And just like the, the first moon landing, I know everyone was glued to their TV sets and trying to, to see what happens. But I know um, the launch was just the, the, an important part of the journey. But um, until you landed, uh, you didn't know if you had full success. So tell me about the anxieties and, and the work that went between the time of the launch and the seven weeks that it took for, uh, for Brigitte to be ready for landing. That part wasn't easy also. Before the launch, getting ready for the spacecraft was the engineering, was the fundraising. That, that's a whole thing we can speak about uh, in, in the education. But even after we launched the spacecraft, there were so many things that didn't work as expected. The, you know, we had a problem with the, the computer that had resets. That's normal in space, but it happened more than you know, anything we, we, we knew in Israel in the past or anything that you know, we saw in, in satellites and, and other projects. And then the star trackers uh, also didn't work as expected. And, and, and you know, the team that believed they're going to have a lot of free time because we've tested everything and everything is ready and we know everything because we got ready for that. The team had to work day and night to find creative solutions to overcome all those challenges and, and to actually find a way that we can navigate the spacecraft from Earth to the moon although we have all those things that don't work as we planned them to work. It, it wasn't easy. And there's also, I like to say that we had all kinds of different challenges. And uh, there was one of the engineers, uh, his name is Aviv, and he was planning to marry the woman he loved. And they decided to put it between the lunch and the landing because, you know, before that, there was so much work to get the spacecraft ready. And now we're going to have some free time. And eventually he got 36 hours to get married and come back to the control room. So we, have, uh, we had a lot of different types of challenges. Uh, but eventually we managed to overcome them. And on April 4th, that's the day that we actually captured the moon. Uh, and by doing so, of course, uh, we, we've made Israel the seventh country in the world to, to do that, uh, the fourth country later to try to land on the moon, uh, but also the first private organization to, to achieve that. And I think that was the goal also of the Google Lunar X Prize, to, to push private organization to that place. And we're really happy that we're able to, to get there. Uh, and a week later, we got uh, to the landing and uh, you were there with us. Yes, I, I was really excited uh, that I was able to be there and invited to be there. Um, but let me um, step back a, a little bit uh, to, to the beginning of this journey. And, uh, you know, you were describing the, the challenges that you didn't anticipate at all. And I think space is one of those areas where being quick on your feet and, and um, you know, being in really, um, tight spots uh, it's it's part of the game and 
you know, everyone knows about Apollo 13 and that in that moment there were, you know, lives at stake. In this scenario, lives were not at stake, but it was a lot of hopes and dreams and and many years of hard work that was at stake. And tell me about uh, some of those things that push your team, the engineers, the uh, inventors that worked with you, your mentors. Um, how did they uh, try to stay calm under pressure? How did you inspire creativity? And, and how did you, more importantly, made sure that they stayed hopeful and, and uh, excited about possibility of landing? So I think that everyone that uh, was involved in the project uh, felt that, you know, they're doing something much, much bigger. They're doing something much bigger than themselves. It's not just an engineering mission. And, and I think that that is what uh, helps both the engineers, uh, both the volunteers and, you know, our donors, uh, Maurice Kahn and the Edelson family and, and all the other donors who who've allowed us to, to go through this journey. And uh, I think that the fact that this was a, a moment in history that they're helping us uh, create and a, a moment that, um, that will shape the future for many children. I think that was in, essentially something crucial in, in each one of those, uh, in, in, in each one of those uh, challenges. Uh, but I will also say that, you know, we had to have a combination we had um, young engineers with no expertise in space before they went to uh, Space IHL. And together with them, we had like the older engineers that had a lot of expertise and they knew how things are being done in space. And then, you know, in th the conversation between those two, you know, that the, the, the young guys have all kinds of crazy ideas throwing and the old guys say, no, 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 don't do that. But eventually they realize that there are some ideas that we're checking. And I think that um, combining different types of people with different expertise uh, and I think, you know, if we're going in, even to the concept of new space, I think that this concept of new space exists only because you have people that don't come from the traditional space industry uh, and they come with new ideas that no one ever thought about, you know, even testing them before. Uh, and I think that combination is also something that allowed us to, to go through a lot of challenges with, with creativity in one side, but also expertise on the other side. And when you combine them together, you can find new solutions and you can overcome many things that were not, that were considered not possible until that moment. I agree with you hundred percent. And I think that's fundamental um, belief at X Prize, where we believe diversity, whether it is age, gender, you know, um, experience, uh, background, Diversity is what really makes teams very strong and the solutions the, to be the most creative solutions. So um, this is a proof point for me um, that this happened. Tell me a little bit about um, the recruiting of the team, just the early days. What made you all decide to compete for the competition? What brought you together and, and how did you select the team? I will say that for me, it actually started on Facebook. A friend of mine, Kolya Riv, he wrote it on Facebook, who wants to go to the moon? He said that he want to open the Israeli team competing in the, in the XPRIZE. And I told him, if you're serious, I'm in. And we met the three of us uh, together with, uh, with Jonathan. So three engineers sitting in a bar. This is how the story started for us. 
Uh, and you know, if we're looking at what happened with the organization, uh, we had a few ch- um, phases. The first phase was everyone were volunteers. We just you know, spread the word and, and we had people that came to us and said, I wanna be part of it. And we said, great, come and be part of it. Uh, and we started to, to gather a lot of people, both you know, engineers, but also important people like the, 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 the president of the, the, sorry, including the chairman of the Israeli Space Agency and including the head of the Weizmann Institute and Tel Aviv University and, uh, and many others. So we had you know, important people that want to help us. We had engineers, young engineers, we had old engineers and we, gathered to, we, we started to gather the team. But as the project became more complex, as the spacecraft became bigger, uh, we realized that we have to have a core team of employees and eventually all the team leaders became employees. And when we moved to the next phase, we actually hired a professional CEO also to, uh, to lead us into full-scale development. And he actually transformed all the engineering team to full-time employees. So eventually we got to a core team of around hundred people Half of them were working in uh, space sale. Half of them were working in the Israeli aerospace industries that were a partner in this project. Um, and, and, and eventually with that team, we were able to finalize the design and eventually get it ready for the launch. Um, and you know everything grew, the team grew, the spacecraft grew, the budget grew, the timeline. Uh, everything together, but eventually we're able to get to a point that we had designs that could actually reach the moon, that had enough fuel. The fuel, by the way, was the problem. Having enough fuel to get to the moon, but also having enough fuel to reduce your speed and uh, eventually, uh, hopefully, soft land on the moon. Uh, half of the fuel was to get there and half of the fuel was uh, for the landing itself. I heard Maurice Khan talk about uh, meeting you all uh, and making a decision to, to donate to the project. Tell me about maybe some share some crazy stories of when you talk to potential donors or investors and, and told them about what you're trying to do. Did you have someone think you're just completely crazy and out of your mind for doing it? Just one? We had many. <laughs> First of all, uh, if we're talking about Morris, just to, to give you one example of, of a story, and, and, and I'll give a few others, uh, we were able to register to the competition, by the way, for in, in the very last day of the registration. Uh, I remember it was a Friday, because usually banks are not open in Friday in Israel. And uh, that's the first day we had the $50,000 for registration. So we literally signed up in the very last moment. Uh, And then a month later, uh, we announced together with you, you know, that we were able to sign and we're starting this journey. And when we went out down uh, from the stage, a nice old man came to us and he told us, do you have money? And we said, you know, we had the registration fee. We just paid it and... And he said, okay, I'll give you some seed money. I'll give you $100,000. Eventually, eventually, we learned it's Maurice Khan. And eventually, he also gave us more than $47 million. So, you know, that's one story. But on the other side, we had so many people that thought that, you know, that's too crazy. But you also need to realize, and you know that, I don't know if all the listeners uh, realize that, if we're going back to 2010, it's not the same industry as it is today. 
Okay, Blue Origin existed, but they haven't launched anything yet. Okay, SpaceX still wasn't able to land the boosters. Okay, they were already in process, but still not there. You know, CubeSat, the concept existed, but it still wasn't something that is so spread as today. So, you know, looking back to what we did and when in the moment we started in 2010, it, it was really crazy to think it's, it's doable and possible in some way. And I'm really happy, by the way, that we didn't realize that. Because I think if in 2010 we would realize it will be so long and it will cost so much, I'm not sure if we would uh, enter this journey, uh, but I'm really happy that we did. There's a word for it. It's called young and foolish. And then you add entrepreneurship <laughs> into that. You have the perfect mix to do impossible things and make it happen. I wanted to ask you, by the way, if I may for another advice in Bereshit 2. In Bereshit 1, it, it wasn't possible to ask you about this, uh, but uh, now we are, uh, uh, you know, we're in the beginning of uh, Bereshit 2, and I was wondering what did Peter told you uh, in the, to, to, that made you and your family actually fund the first, you know, Dansari uh, X Prize? So I'm an entrepreneur uh, as well, so I'm, a little bit more used to crazy ideas than most people, if you would. Um, so when Peter came to me, of course, space was my passion. So that helped a lot. Uh, but when he came to me and he talked about the idea of the XPRIZE competition and doing a competition that will open up space for everyone and, and really open up this big pathway uh, for humanity to explore space, it resonated with me a lot, but the approach was what sold me the competition because as an entrepreneur, I had just uh, sold a, a successful company and it had taken me 10 years. I had put uh, a lot of money, uh, you know, our own money and investors money into it. And I had a team that was working on it. But throughout this whole thing, I didn't know if they would make it or not and if they will be able to deliver on, on the goods at the end of the day. Um, so it was all of it at risk. And I figured that on such a high risk area, when you talk about space, having a competition where you only pay once the, the team actually builds. So this whole concept of you have a vision, you want to accomplish it and you do a competition and then once they finish, that's the only time you write a check. I'm like, what a brilliant way to do investment and, and in high risk investment. Um, so that's what really attracted me. Uh, and then the second thing uh, that I told Peter was that if someone wins this, can you make sure that I can fly to space with them? And he said that he would do everything in his power that he can't guarantee it, but but will do everything in his power to help me actually fly to space. So those all sold me and um, best thing I've ever done, best investment I've ever made. And uh, it has become a legacy for our family. And I know uh, when we talked to Morris Khan, he was so proud. This was even after the uh, hard landing. He was so proud of the accomplishment of Space IL and the entire program. And I think for him, it has become part of his legacy. And I know for sure it's part of all of your legacies. Totally with you. He also considered this, quoting him, the best investment he did in his life. And he did many investments. Uh, yes. 
And by the way, reducing the risk, I think that this concept, and I fully agree with you, is not just for the investor. It's also for us because you know we knew that if we'll, we will succeed, we will have something that is promised uh, to us. And I think that this competition actually also allowed us to gather all the money in the beginning because there was a competition that they wanted to help us win. So I, I, I totally agree that this concept was something amazing. And now, you know, I had the, the opportunity to be in the visionary event and to see so many other uh, XPRIZE that are happening. It's, it's really exciting. Um, let's go back to, um, you know, you're up there. The Brashid is uh, now has the moon uh, on its uh, window. And, and I saw actually the pictures that was shared on the media. You had a card and it was XPRIZE on it. And I'm like, yes, XPRIZE brand is now in space. I was so excited about it. Um, and then we flew to watch the landing. Tell me about... Um, those uh, last few hours as you were approaching and, and, and what happened with the landing. I tell people that you all landed, it just that in more pieces than you anticipated. Uh, so that's one way of looking at it, right? Yeah, I'm totally with you. I just say that we landed, just hard landed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll go even for like half an hour before the landing started. And I was interviewed, so it's on, on, on videotape, you know, you can watch it. I'm not uh, saying it just now. Uh, and, you know, the reporter asked me if something might go wrong. And my immediate reaction was that, yes, many things can go wrong. And it's no, not because I foreseen the future or something. It's because it, it's really complicated. Landing on the moon is really complicated. Uh, and, you know, we were hoping to have all kind of obstacle avoidance uh, cameras that will look and, and move the, the spacecraft. And, and it wasn't possible, you know, to uh, the, the, the budget and the timeline was uh, big enough. So to add more features, we, we just it wasn't possible to add uh, all the features that we wanted in the beginning. And so we knew it's also statistical because the spacecraft had to land by itself, you know, uh, it takes uh, a minute and uh, a second uh, plus, uh, let's say three seconds to send up something uh, from the spacecraft and uh, to Earth and, and back with a bit processing time. And, uh, and the spacecraft moved in two kilometers per second. So it was before you even think about how to move the, the joystick, it will already move six kilometers. So, um, so the landing process was autonomous and we knew there are a lot of uh, challenges that might happen. Uh, and, you know, in the beginning, everything started okay. Everything looked just as expected. Um, everyone were excited. We had millions of people with us watching from all around the world uh, in Israel, but many people, some of them, you know, people who cares about Israel, but not just because I think that the whole space industry uh, was, was excited, you know, that's the first private spacecraft that is, is reaching the moon. And, um, and we had millions watching uh, and we were excited and around 13 kilometers above the surface of uh, the moon, uh, there was a malfunction the IMU, the inertia measurement unit, uh, failed. And that was IMU2. That means that we had another one. So the spacecraft moved to the, the IMU1, 
and continued lending. Uh, but the team thought that it's not right for to, to allow the spacecraft to try to land only with one sensor. They wanted to reset that component. Then there was a, a problem in information uh, uh, sharing in the team. And the problem was that one of the, the teams in the control rooms uh, knew something had, you know, from a previous test that the commander of the control room did, uh, did not know. And he had a split of a second to make a decision and he made the best decision he could according to the information he had. But if he had all the information, he probably would have taken another decision. And that connected to a third problem that was an architecture problem. And it led to the point that when one IMU was resetted, in some cases, again, statistical, it could, it could block the other one. Uh, from working correctly, and that's exactly what happened. So when the computer saw, okay, all the sensors are not working, it just reset the computer and it reset the engine, and the engine came back, but eventually it was too late. Uh, so it was uh, hardware, uh, uh, software, and uh, human, and it's not a human error that someone accidentally pressed the wrong, pressed the wrong button. It was the fact that uh, the information flow uh, uh, wasn't good enough and uh, and we've investigated by the way both this you know both the landing and the whole mission and eventually when our new ceo that uh, uh, will take us to bereshit 2 mission uh, he came from the israeli air force and he said no that's not how you investigate you need to go eight years back and we investigated all those eight years uh, and we learned a lot um and, uh, and eventually, as you said, we've reached the moon, not soft landed, we hard landed. And there was a time there, by the way, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember that, that the engine came back and everyone were clapping. But even now, if you look at the videos, you can see that the spacecraft is going down from 600 to 149 meters, and that's it. And everyone are clapping that because the engine came back, but it was already on the surface of the moon. So that's it. Uh, we got amazing footage from NASA that took pictures of the, the landing site a few days later. And I think, you know, for us, if you'll take me five minutes after uh, the hard landing or the crash landing, we can say even, um, I was interviewed just like all the team and we were asked, you know, how do you feel? What's happening now? And I think that the first answer we had is that, you know, we've reached the moon and the future, uh, the, the kids that were inspired from our mission uh, will build the future spacecraft. We still didn't know that we are going to build another one, uh, but that was the first reaction because although we definitely made an impact on the moon, the biggest impact I think we've created was here on Earth uh, with so many kids that uh, actually already decided. We had kids that when we met them, they were in, I don't know, preschool and now they're in university because it was so long. And eventually they decided to go and study aeronautical engineering or other types of engineering and it's already happening. I can uh, personally attest to that. Um, uh, when you take moonshots like this, this was a, literally a moonshot. Um, there's this cliche that they say, take a moonshot, even if you fail, you land amongst the stars. And it's true uh, because when you do something that's so difficult with such a high risk and chance of failure, 
um, you know that there's a good chance you're not going to make it to the final destination. But the learning from the journey, the people who join you on that journey and how you, uh, you know, learn from the process is, uh, is so valuable that by itself it can be considered winning because of what you've learned. And I think this was one of those cases. Um, I'm sure you all were saddened by the fact that the last part didn't come together perfectly. Uh, but uh, you did make a difference and, and I was there in the room and the excitement. I, there was a confusion. You're absolutely right. We were just, did, 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 did we land? What happened? We lost visual for a while and then came back. And um, so we didn't know, but, um, you know, we, we were hoping uh, that at that moment that you will continue this journey because it was a journey worth continuing. Um, so tell me, um, since then, what's been happening? Uh, what are some of the news about Brashid and Brashid 2? And uh, if you can share any timelines, what's happening, that, uh, t tell our audience how they can be part of that new journey you're on. So first of all, I will use this moment to say again, uh, thank you, both for inspiring us to go into this journey and you know helping us through all those years but also for the the moonshot award because uh, you know the million dollar for the moonshot award is actually what allowed us to initiate the next mission of Belichie 2 and uh, with that we were able to raise the more donation and it came with the, uh, the donation of uh, uh, Len Blavatnik and with those two as I said we hired a new CEO uh, Shimon Sarid and we were working hard to find the right mission. In the beginning, in Bereshit 1, it, it, it was easy. You've done all the work for us. You defined exactly what we were supposed to do. But now we had to define the new mission and we wanted to have something that will be exciting, that will be inspirational, and it will be something in the DNA of SpaceL, which is doing the impossible. So we were looking for something that is considered impossible. And we looked for all kind of different mission. And eventually, actually Shimon uh, came with the idea that we can go back to the moon, but now in Bereshit 2, not just with one spacecraft, but with three spacecrafts. Two of them are going to be landers and we are going to land on two different locations on the moon. Uh, and then we'll also have the third one, which will stay around the moon, will uh, we'll orbit the moon and it will stay there for a few years. And what we're working on is to make sure that in that orbiter, uh, there will be in all those three spacecraft will have a, a scientific uh, payloads, but on that orbiter, we'll also have sensor that will be defined so that also high school students will be able to, partic to participate. So we want, you know, the scientists, but we want high school students and we want university students to be part in the next mission and not just in Israel, and the next mission was built and defined in such a way that we're looking to, uh, to have many countries from around the world that will join in, uh, both in the engineering and science, but mainly, I would say, with the education. We're looking for countries that never been in, in deep space or maybe haven't been in space, and we want those kids to actually be part of a new deep space mission. That, that would be awesome. And I think, um, you know, uh, some may understand, but uh, it's worth highlighting that these types of uh, lunar or Mars mission 
takes uh, decades and billions of dollars by uh, you know large, uh, very well established government based uh, space programs and um, you know uh, space airline companies, private companies like you who are now all um, eyeing the moon and and later on Mars are doing that with fraction of the cost, a lot more ingenuity and creativity uh, in uh, making things safer and uh, more efficient. So this this is great. And I look forward to an invitation to the launch and landing of Brigitte 2, hopefully when that happens. And, uh, and to, I think it will... The two landings. Two landings, we're looking, yes. We're, we're hoping to I'll see on the two landings of Brigitte 2. That's yeah. wonderful. Uh, but by the way, I haven't said that, mm-hmm. but we're planning to do that in the same budget and in the same weight of Bereshit 1. That's amazing. So basically, in an average uh, price of $50 million, we can land on the moon. Uh, and we're planning to have two successful uh, landings. Um, yes, so it really, you know, uh, we, we find it remarkable in the way it changed, you know, the, the way we can look at, at missions uh, on the moon, but it can also be relevant for other places in the universe. Now that you have your eyes set on even a bigger mission, a larger mission, um, if we fast forward into the future 20 years, you know, 25 years from now, how do you see um, the landscape for space and space companies and space programs and just for humans in space? I will say that although the technology really moves fast and, and faster each and every year, I think that in space, things still move a bit slower. Uh, it, till, it still takes some time. So 20 years is nice, but I think that, you know, if we look at what happened in the last 10 years, as, as I mentioned, the satellites, you know, are now really available. We have high school students uh, in Israel that are being, uh, building nanosatellites and launching them into space. And, uh, you know, we have universities all around the world. Uh, and I think that will move uh, forward and it will be really affordable for many organizations to launch things to Earth's orbit. Uh, regarding humans, I think it, it, it's, it's still complex. I think, you know, we have to have another a technology leap that will, will push us forward. I think that 20 years from now, maybe the things we can do now around the Earth will also be able to do them around the Moon and maybe Mars. And so it will be affordable and there will be a possibilities for like small organizations, small university to, to do missions in deep space. But I think for humans, I believe that we will have, you know, space tourism to some extent that will be available, hopefully, you know, with big balloons that, you know, there's projects to to get people to see Earth from above. Uh, But to actually take people to the moon, I think 20 years is not enough to make it affordable. It will happen to to the moon, to Mars, uh, but uh, we need a bit more than 20 years to make it uh, something that everyone you know, uh, can go together. I totally agree with you. And I think um, I keep talking to people about we need new propulsion system. We need new ways of space travel that would be a lot more um, energy efficient and therefore cost efficient um, so we can make it available to everyone. Uh, But that requires a lot of uh, amazing students and, and young people who will 
um, be creative. Um, what would you say to um, young uh, people who are budding scientists or engineers out there uh, about doing the impossible and going after these uh, big audacious goals and dreams? So I think that I will tell them three things. One is that you don't need a mission, you need a vision. Don't define what you want to do, define the change that you want to do in the world. And I think that the, the, the fact that we thought about the change we want to make in the world is what allowed many people to join in and be, you know, be excited from this. And so that's the first thing. And the second part is after you define the change you want to do in the world is um, that you need to understand that you cannot do it alone. You have to build a team of people, talented people that will be there with you. And so building the team. And my third, uh, the third thing that I would say, it's the concept that if you're going to fall, take a step forward and not a step backward. When things don't work as expected, usually we want to take a step backward and see that everything is okay. But I think that in Space AL, in, in this journey, uh, every time that things didn't work as expected, we didn't stop. We said that we'll push as far as we can, as, 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 as farther as we can, and we will stop only when we'll have no choice. And I think, you know, if you have a, an amazing idea, if you're going to change the world, if you have the right team, just push forward and just do it, I would say, and, and don't stop. And I think that's my advice. We're excited. We're tackling some of the big issues like climate and clean energy and food and health, everything. So um, we will put this engine to work to solve all sorts of grand challenges. And Kafir, thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your stories and your wisdom with our listeners. And I look forward to having you back here to tell us about your successful multiple landing on the moon. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was XPRIZE CEO Anusha Ansari in conversation with Kafir Damari from Space IL. Thanks for listening to the Future Positive Podcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. If you'd like to support our show, share this episode with fellow futurist friends. And remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Your feedback really does help. This podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising, delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making a change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. Learn more at xprize.org. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.